Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Summer podcast. This is episode 30. The case that I'll be covering today is the murder of Donna Winger. My sources for today's episode are the ABC 2020 episode, The Perfect Lie, Wikipedia, ABC News, News Channel 20, the blog Forensic Files Now, and the Chicago Tribune. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Mark and Donna Winger seem like the perfect couple. They got married in 1988. Mark worked at a nuclear power plant and Donna as an operating room technician. After six years of marriage, they adopted a three-month-old baby girl named Bailey when they couldn't have kids of their own. Even though Donna didn't give birth to Bailey, her family recalls that she said, quote, I knew it the minute they put the baby into my arms. She has always been mine, end quote. Life was exciting for the Wingers. They had their new baby girl, and their marriage seemed better than ever. That was until Mark called 911 on August 29, 1995. He said he had shot a man who was, quote, killing, end quote, Donna. The Springfield police arrived, and they could immediately see that there were two victims. They could see them from the front door. Donna was still alive, but had been hit seven times in the head with a hammer. The second victim was an unknown male. He had been shot twice, but was also clinging to life. Donna and the man were rushed to the hospital. The police were able to find an ID in the man's wallet. He was identified as Roger Harrington, a limo driver. A bloody hammer was also found at the scene. So were several of Roger's belongings. His coffee mug, cigarettes, and his car was found parked outside. Inside the car, there was a note with Mark's name, address, and 4.30 p.m. written down. The police spoke to Mark, who was in the bedroom in the back of the home. The police asked him what happened. He appeared emotional and cooperative and said that he had been running on the treadmill in the basement and heard noises upstairs. He said he went, to, he went into the bedroom to grab his gun when he saw Bailey on the bed. This was odd because Donna would have never left her unattended. Mark said he went out into the living room and saw the man attacking his wife, shot him once, and shot him again when the man sat up. The police decided to keep the man's identity a secret from Mark. That was until he asked the police if the man's name was Roger. They told him it was. Mark then shared a story about how Roger had been harassing Donna just a few days earlier. Donna met Roger when he drove her home from the St. Louis airport. Donna told her mom and sisters the story as well. Donna said that Roger had shared with her about a voice he heard called Dom and that this voice would tell him to do bad things like hurt people. Roger also told Donna about his sexual fantasies. Donna said then Roger began to drive erratically and that she was afraid. Donna also received several phone calls from Roger in the few days after he dropped her off. When Donna told Mark, he made her write down the entire story. Her written statement was found by the police hanging on the refrigerator. Mark called BART Transportation to report Roger and his behavior. Roger was suspended from his job. Detective Charlie Cox knew Roger well. He owned a trailer park, and Roger and his wife rented one of the trailers. The police responded to several domestic disputes, so the police actually believed Roger was capable of this and that he could have just snapped. Donna and Roger both passed away from their injuries, and the police believed Mark killed Roger in self-defense. He was deemed a hero, and the police closed the case within 48 hours. Roger's family was heartbroken. Their son and brother was now known as a murderer, and they just didn't believe that was what happened. Donna's family was on Mark's side at first. They didn't think he was capable of hurting Donna in any way. They did start to notice some interesting behaviors, though. He was quiet, he drank more, and he would watch violent movies. They thought it was strange considering he had just killed someone in self-defense. 
However, they did say that people grieve in many ways. In 1996, Donna's family hired a nanny named Rebecca Simic. Rebecca moved in to help with Bailey. Donna's family took a liking to Rebecca, and so did Mark. Rebecca said that she and Mark grew closer. They stayed up talking a lot, drinking wine, etc. Rebecca became pregnant just a few months after she moved in. Donna's family was shocked. Rebecca would later say that Mark, quote, put pressure on me to marry and have children with him, end quote. In January 1996, Mark called the police department asking about the investigation and if he could have his gun back. The police now started looking into the case again, which they should have done from the beginning. There were several things about the crime scene that didn't sit right with the police. First, Roger's car had been parked going against traffic, and his cigarettes and coffee mug had been inside the home. The police also discovered that Mark had filed a civil suit against Bart Transportation. In October 1996, Rebecca and Mark eloped in Maui. In December, Mark told Donna's family that he was selling the home and moving into a country home with his family. Mark and Rebecca had several more kids together. Mark told Sarah Jane, Donna's mother, that he didn't want Bailey to call her grandma anymore. She was heartbroken. He, compl he completely cut off all ties between his family and Donna's. Bailey grew up not knowing who Donna's parents were. In December 1999, a huge bombshell came out that eventually led to the police reopening Donna's murder case and looking right at Mark. Donna's close friend, Deanne Schultz, went to the police and told them that she had had an affair with Mark before Donna's murder and six months after. This was another blow to Donna's family who said that Deanne was like another sister to them. Deanne also told the police several incriminating statements that came from Mark. Deanne said that Mark told her that they could be together if Donna died. And after he found out about Roger's behavior from when he drove Donna home, he said, quote, I've got to get that driver in my home, end quote. Mark called Deanne the day of the murder, and their relationship continued about six months after the murder. After Donna died, Deanne struggled with her mental health. She tried to commit suicide many times, but decided to come forward after seeing Mark and Rebecca at a local hospital one day. Rebecca said that Deanne glared at her, and she didn't know why until this information came out. Once the police reopened the case, they learned that the evidence had been sent to Mark's attorney for the civil case against BART Transportation. However, they looked over the information about the case that they did have. There had been no signs of forced entry. Roger had a tire iron and knife in his car, but the weapon he chose to use was a hammer that had been left on the table in the winger home. The police also now had three pol Polaroid pictures that had been taken on the day of the murder by another officer. The position of Roger's body completely contradicted Mark's story. Mark had said that he shot Roger. He fell backwards to where his feet were near Donna's head. However, the Polaroids showed that Roger was facing the opposite direction. In December 1999, the Springfield State Journal Register ran an article about Mark's involvement in the murder of his wife and Roger. Donna's family was once again shocked, but Roger's family was happy that their loved one would finally be cleared. Roger's roommate, Susan Collins, also told the police that she had been present when someone now believed to have been Mark had invited Roger over to the home on the day of the murder. Susan had seen Roger write down Mark's name, address, and time, and this was on the note that the police had found in his car. Mark's civil suit was dismissed. On August 23, 2001, Mark was arrested after a grand jury returned an indictment. Rebecca said she had been at McDonald's with her kids when she learned that Mark was arrested. On May 20, 2002, Mark's trial began. Rebecca originally stood by her husband. 
Mark's defense argued that Roger was mentally ill and had a history of erratic behavior. Once the Polaroid pictures were brought up as evidence, the defense said that the paramedics must have moved Roger's body into the position that it was found in. The prosecution argued that Mark let Roger in that day, which explained why he brought his mug and cigarettes in and was shot. Donna then heard the noise and went out to see what happened. Mark then attacked his wife with the hammer. The 911 call was played and Roger is heard moaning in the background. The prosecution said that Mark learned that Roger was still alive and said that his baby was crying. He hung up on 911 and called Roger and shot Roger again. Deanne Schultz testified for the prosecution about her relationship with Mark and about his incriminating statements. The defense called Deanne emotionally unstable. Deanne was given immunity even though there, had, there was nothing to link her to the crime at all. On June 5, 2002, Mark Winger was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder. Mark was sentenced on August 1st to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mark still claims he's innocent, but in 2006, he was indicted on a murder-for-hire plot. He had tried to hire someone from prison to call to kill Deanne and a friend from his childhood named Jeffrey Gelman, who refused to pay his bail. In June 2007, he was convicted for solicitation of murder. He was sentenced to another 35 years. Mark is obviously a piece of shit. He deserves to rot and die in prison for what he did to Donna and Roger. Sure, Roger may have had mental health issues, but he was branded as a murderer for a long time when he was lured to his death. I feel so bad for Donna's family, Rebecca, and her kids. They were all manipulated by the same person, but hopefully they can move on knowing he can never hurt them again. Today, Rebecca and her kids now work at Big Brothers Big Sisters of Kentuckiana to help children with imprisoned parents. She said, quote, you're not responsible for someone else's actions. You can't carry that burden and you can't carry that shame. It's exhausting. My book recommendation for this week is The Party by Robin Harding. Summary, one invitation, a lifetime of regrets. Sweet 16, it's an exciting coming of age, a milestone and a rite of passage. Jeff and Kim Sanders plan on throwing a party for their daughter, Hannah, a sweet girl with good grades and nice friends. Rather than an extravagant, indulgent affair, they invite four girls over for pizza, cake, movies, and a sleepover. What could possibly go wrong? But things do go wrong, horrifically so. After a tragic accident occurs, Jeff and Kim's flawless life in a wealthy San Francisco suburb suddenly begins to come apart. In the ugly aftermath, friends become enemies. Dark secrets are revealed in the Sanders marriage, and the truth about their perfect daughter, Hannah, is exposed. I really like this book. It's very similar to many other books I've recommended on this podcast. It's full of secrets about this family and about what really happened the night of the party. It also describes what being a teenager is really like. You want to fit in with your friends, and occasionally you're talked into doing things you normally wouldn't do on your own. However, in most cases, bad things don't usually happen. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I love to know your thoughts and would love any recommendations you might have on other cases. Please subscribe, follow me on Instagram, rate, review, etc. I'll be back next week with an all new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.